I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. This is your host, Matt Dixon, and I start today with a question. Have you ever pondered what it is like to lose everything. I mean completely everything. Going through an experience that leaves you on the edge of life, but ultimately you emerge out of it. Absolutely no possessions. Stripped to, quite literally, your pyjamas. What would happen as you emerge out of this experience? What would be your mindset, the lens on performance, this forced opportunity to completely reinvent yourself and start all over again? For Lars Tandrup, this was his story. And today, we're going to go through his quite staggering story and dive into his emergence into personal performance and growth. This is, and I promise, not like words, this is unmissable. I might say it's required listening. But before we do so, let's get into word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way Let's open the book, it's time So yes, the word of the week this week is talent. Talent. What is talent? It's funny, last week I was lucky enough to give a presentation focused on performance, but I managed to sneak in a discussion around talent. Whether in sports or business, this word comes up a lot. And I noticed in the conference how people were asking me how we go about talent identification and development. The business leader's lens was how to get the right people working in their companies. My lens was to develop world-class athletes. Let me give you a snapshot of my thoughts. Let's first think about athletes that many would immediately state are talented. LeBron James, Michael Phelps, of course, two icons in their sport and undeniably gifted. There can be little argument that both of these have wonderful physiological gifts and their physical traits are perfectly suited to each of their chosen sports. They have a natural edge on the route to excellence, and certainly if we line them up against Billy, a five foot four inch man with a forty inch waist, no matter how aspirational Billy is, it's highly unlikely that he's gonna go on to be either Michael or LeBron in their respective sports. For many, this is talent, but I don't look at it through that lens. In fact, I'm here to tell you that talent doesn't always look or smell the same. In fact, I would argue that the physical traits that are expressed are simply the ticket into the special lottery. Certain traits are important to have in a position to compete at the world-class level. And yeah, LeBron and Michael had plenty of those positive traits. But these are not the things that enabled either of those guys to make such an impression on their sport. Both have achieved long-term careers of excellence and have strong characteristics that I think make up talent. In my years of coaching, I've seen many highly gifted athletes through a physical lens who've never gone on to make the smallest dents in world-class racing. In fact, results have been random or underwhelming throughout their career. The next big thing have often never gone on to emerge. On the flip side, I've seen athletes that within the realm of world-class really have mediocre 
physical traits and yet have been some of the most successful athletes on the world stage. Yes, they had some physical traits, but it was these traits that I'll go through that I believe add up to talent. So what are these traits? What are the things that I consistently see across the best performing individuals? Well, let's talk about it. The first, a multi-year North Star, having a real vision of where you want to go. Between and underneath that, short-term measurable goals. The actual destination of the goals and result is not that important, but something to anchor towards the short term so that we can bridge. Quite often, that ends up being races. But beyond these more obvious ones, there are others. This unfulfilled fueling of passion and being mission-focused. The ability for big-picture thinking. Too many people get caught up in the myopic and short-term thinking, but the talented rise above and always see the big picture. An unyielding drive for consistency. Often driven by training and habits, the talented understand the value of layering and long-term progression and so make decisions and pursue consistency over those big hits of excellence. I would also say, aligned with this, that most are habit-driven. In support of consistency, these most talented are much less likely to be distracted by fringe additions, the latest or greatest gadgets, or some new fad diet. They seek simplicity rather than complication. So what else is talent? Coachable, embracing accountability and feedback. Universally, the talented thrive on a structure of those processes. They don't just drive the ship and expect to have all the answers. Instead, they support themselves with surrounding people despite their high intrinsic motivation and passion. And ultimately, they are highly resilient, highly adaptable, and always own a growth mindset. They're always looking for this unyielding thirst of learning and ultimately improvement. This to me is talent. These are the traits that make up the lens that I look talent through. And guess what? It goes well beyond world-class athletics because these are the traits of the best business leaders I've had the opportunity to work with as well. So as you step back, and you think about talent, it is only when these traits are present that where potential meets actual performance. And that is why the word of the week this week is talent. Now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Alright guys, so the meat and potatoes today and we're going to be talking about performance today and I would say that this is going to be a story about performance emerging from adversity and we have a special guest. My guess is that you might not have heard of Lars Tandrup. Lars, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. But your story, Lars, is, is the epitome of performance and it's going to... Uh, it's going to come out of a, a certain period of adversity that we're going to get to later. Yeah. And it's quite a magical story uh, of, a, of a, a real uh, spirit of, of emergence and reframing of, of really your whole life. I don't think it's mm -hmm. too grandiose to say that, that you went through something that, that forced you into a framing of reflection and right. a new lens. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's get into it. And, and first, as we always want to, I want to understand a little bit about 
about you and your background. Give, give us a, a couple of minutes and your, your background, your story. Who are you? Who is Lars Tendrup? So I am uh, I'm 50 years old, um, and uh, the funny accent is from Denmark. So I was born in Denmark, um, and um, I'm married. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I met my wife in the early 90s, and we've been together ever since. I have an 18-year-old daughter uh, who's now in college. I uh, live up in Santa Rosa, and uh, professionally, I uh, am a partner at uh, one of the large consulting companies. Okay, super. And how about athletics? How about growing up? Give us a little bit about your education, and and I guess yeah. leading into your athletic history as well, because I yeah. think that's important. Yeah. So uh, when I went through uh, both elementary school and high school. Uh, i played a little bit of soccer uh, growing up in Denmark. That was the thing that everybody did. Uh, mm-hmm. I played a little bit of badminton, but I think it's fair to say that I never, I never identified as an athlete. I was, I was uh, good and book smart in school, mm-hmm. um, and that was my focus. Just from, just from kind of my physical stature, I was, I was really, really small up until I was 18 years old, where I had a little bit of a growth spurt. Yep. But I was I was on the smaller side. Um, I got uh, bullied a little bit in elementary school just from being small and having glasses and being butch smart. Very common when we were growing up, yeah, wasn't it? A, yeah, a culture exactly. of bullying. Yeah. Right. So so uh, so my athletics were you know were just uh, playing soccer like everybody else. I really wasn't that good at it. Um, later on, I started road biking a little bit. Again, that was, uh, you know, very Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. I started using my bike as a transportation uh, means, so it was a way to get around. Uh, I lived in Copenhagen at that time, so I started biking everywhere. And um, and I started slowly doing some longer one-day races, uh, you know, 200 miles, 240-mile one-day races. There are a couple of famous races in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I was always kind of bottom of the pack. Um, and sure. and uh, I really didn't understand training or anything like that. So I, I would just ride to and from work, for instance, and then I would sign up for a race and I would go do it and... The first four hours were great, and then after that, I completely, you know, tanked and bonked, and and it was, uh, you know, it ended up being pretty, pretty miserable uh, sometimes. But good experiences, so I signed up, you know, the year after. Sure. I passionately uh, hated running, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that had to do with my soccer background. That running was kind of the punishment. Sure, right, of course. If you, yeah. yeah, if yeah, you yeah, miss yeah. this, then you know, go run a lap. Go run the field. Yep. And. Uh, And I really wasn't a swimmer uh, at all. I had learned to swim breaststroke just to not drown. Yeah. Uh, but I had I had never you know I had never been doing uh, you know freestyle swimming or anything like that. So so we will not label you as this uh, this conversation around performance. We will not label you as a youthful elite athlete. No, no, and, absolutely uh, not. And, and then you came to the states in 2003. 2003, yes, and was yeah. that that was that was professional? That was for for your professional that, career. That yeah. was that was work wise. Yeah, okay. I uh, I got to a point in my career where I felt like I needed a little bit of a shake up. Uh, I was in I was in a very comfortable position at the company that I was working for. Mm-hmm. I was on a partner track, um, but I began to get this feeling that I wanted to shake things up a little bit. I wanted to I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to experience the feeling 
that I had when I was brand new at that company. Mm-hmm. So I was I was seeking actually a little bit of you know discomfort, if you will. Yeah. And I had a conversation with the partner that I was working for at that time, who sat me down and said, "Lars, you do understand if you if you continue here, then you'll make partner in a year or two and." And I completely understood that, but that was really not what I was seeking. I was seeking something that was new and would challenge me a little bit. Well, one of uh, one of my little coaching quotes, and I think you already know I have many, but evolve or die. And uh, yes. the, the discomfort yes. creates growth, yeah? Yes. Across yeah. many avenues that we talk about. But yeah. well, let's dive into to triathlon. And, you know, you're not training for triathlon it really emerging out of an instant that, that has ultimately shaped your your life for the second part of your life. Um, but when did you get into triathlon? Was it was it in California? I, yes, yeah, yeah. I had uh, so we had we had moved to California in two thousand and six, and and really loved uh, uh, you know the weather and especially growing up in Scandinavia. The fact that I could be outside all the time was fantastic. So I had I had started doing a little bit of road biking. Uh, and and pick that up again, um, really, because when we moved to the states in 2003, I got I got really um, uh, you know hooked into the American lifestyle with uh, you know food and and uh, free refills on soda and and I started just putting on a little bit of weight and I still remembered myself being a road cyclist but when I looked at myself in the mirror and, and now when I look at photos of myself sure I began to realize that I that I that I really wasn't that fit and healthy anymore mm-hmm. so um, I had a I had a colleague this is back in 2011 I had a colleague who was also not a superstar athlete uh, just kind of a regular guy and he started doing triathlon and uh, he signed up for uh, Ironman Quarter Lane, and I remember that that was really my inspiration. The fact that the fact that he is, you know, quote unquote, just a normal guy, and that he started embarking on this journey really inspired me. Actually, much more than kind of the superstar athletes that I was working with, right? Who did you know X, Y, or Z? But uh, Brian really inspired me, and. Um, I thought that I wouldn't be able to run. I had a little bit of a knee issue from my soccer, uh, uh, you know, playing. But I started very slowly. And then I signed up for the Marin County uh, Olympic distance race in yep. 2011. And I signed up three months before the race. And and I had not been to a pool for probably 20 years. So I, I literally that same afternoon, I drove to a pool and I promised myself that I would only leave when I had done 1,500 yards and uh and, and three was, days later yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least a couple of hours later yeah uh, and i and and it was an interesting experience a very humbling experience awesome and um and then then you went on and i mean you went on and did a half ironman i think even yeah. an ironman in 2014 yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah so so we bring it to you have you've done, done triathlons 2014 but we're going to talk about a particular day Yes. Let's move in and yeah. I'm going to set this up because I th- this is going to be the, the central piece of the conversation. Uh, well, actually, out of this will be the central piece of the conversation. But I want to set the stage. And uh, I, I remember exactly where I was October the 9th, 2017. I was, I was actually in Hawaii. I'm based mm-hmm. in San Francisco, but it was right around the time of the Hawaii Ironman. And uh, uh, I think I was probably starting to get more and more nervous as we go into the, the biggest race of the year. And you, you were just um, 
off to bed, normal yeah. day. Yeah, I was at home. Normal day, and and your your daughter was was off at college. Yes, yeah? so yeah. she was not there. So it was just you, you and your wife. Me and my wife and our puppy. Yes. Uh, so yeah, yeah, just just a normal day. Um, uh, we went to bed uh, relatively early. I had a meeting down in South San Francisco that I needed to be at the next morning, Monday morning. So I set my alarm clock uh, for I think five thirty in the morning. So I went to bed early. I took the dog out right before going to bed. It was just me and my wife. Um, and when I got back inside, you know, the one comment I did make to my wife is that it's it's really really windy outside. Okay. Uh, but you know, we didn't think any more of it, and we went to bed and 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 fell asleep pretty quickly. So take it from here. That's uh, what what happened next. So around around one thirty a.m., uh, my wife's uh, cell phone rings, um, and normally normally both she and I keep our phones on silent. Yeah. Um, and and I really didn't know what time it was. I you know I woke up uh, with her phone ringing and I picked it up and I remember I remember I was a little bit upset that somebody would wake me up at one thirty in the morning because sure. I had this early meeting, so I needed to get my sleep in. And uh, it is uh, my neighbor uh, on the phone. And I remember that she said uh, to me, uh, I just want to make sure you guys got out all right. And, and it took me a couple of seconds to try to process what she was saying. And I really had no idea what she was talking about. And, and again, I became a little bit upset with her. And I said, uh, look, we are sleeping. Uh, yeah. And then... She uh, she freaked out a little bit. She started crying, and I had a hard time understanding what she was trying to tell me on the phone. And then her husband took the phone and said, you need to get out of the house. The whole hillside is on fire. And I still had not realized anything. I Our bedroom is kind of in a corner of the house, and, and we have you know, blackout shades, so I couldn't see outside. So I walk into our master bathroom, and as soon as I open the door, I see I see flames on the outside of the house, uh, licking up against the windows. Wow! Um, so I I run back to the bed, uh, and I wake up my wife, and and uh, try to get her awake as quickly as possible, and uh, basically just tell her to, that we have to get out of the house, um, and. All I really managed to to think about was to grab our puppy, um, and then I still had the cell phone in my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were both in our pajamas, and and we, I mean, we basically we ran downstairs. Uh, no time for anything. You were no, n- not no. even to put on shoes. Yeah, no, no. I I uh, I had the pajamas on that I was wearing. Uh, and and uh, because the house was already burning on the outside, we 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 had we had we had no time to grab anything, uh, and ran out first towards the front door, but that was where the house was burning already. So we turned around as soon as we saw that, and and left through the back door, and then ran around the house, uh, got out to the garage, but the garage was already burning too. So it then became clear to me that we really couldn't get any of the cars out. Um, of course. Yeah. And, and so was there, as you sort of did this, I'm sure you did some form of 360 degree sort of which way to go. I mean, yes. there was, there was yeah. obviously one side was clearly not, but yeah. were, what, was, what was your mindset there? Were, were you still calm or, or was that with the first sort of real panic? Or do, you, do you remember your, your feelings or emotions then? I remember, 
I remember um, I remember being being relatively calm in the sense that uh, that I could tell that I was kind of trying to process what was going on. I really I really did not feel panicked, uh, but at the same time I also I also written really didn't feel like I was making decisions. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I went into kind of a very primal fight or flight yep. uh, 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 mode where I clearly remember not really you know not really being able to process uh, what I was seeing and experiencing uh, because visually you know visually everything was burning uh, the trees were burning houses were burning the grass was burning uh, bushes were on were on fire and the wind was incredibly strong and the sound i still i still vividly remember the sound that it was it was like standing right next to a jet engine it was unbelievably loud uh, so my wife and i had a hard time talking to each other uh, but as soon as we got out and i saw the garage i i got a hold of my wife and i said we're going to have to run um, and yeah, this this was not walking. You you chose you chose the yeah. the path of, yes. of least flames, I guess, yeah. and just ran that direction. Yeah, was was there was it a road or a path or was it literally through the the woods sort of thing? It, no, no, no. There's a road. There's a road that leads up to where our house was. So mm. uh, the direction was um, uh, there. Really, was only one way to go. Yeah, uh, we 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 live in a semi-rural area right outside of Santa Rosa. Uh, so our street basically only serves the couple of houses that are that are there. So we so we knew instinctively, I think, that we needed to get down to the main road uh, because that uh, that appeared like that was kind of the way to safety. Of course, yeah. Um, and and one of the one of the things that I also really remember was that when both my wife and I have 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 kind of described this feeling afterwards that. Even though I could see that everything was burning, I could see the other hillsides were also burning. I could see that the fire was everywhere, but but my mind was kind of trying to tell me. I think that I just needed to run a hundred yards. I just needed to run down to my neighbor's house, and then I'd probably be safe. Um, and that was that was uh, for the first couple of minutes. That was my mindset. Was that I. I I just yeah I just need to run down to the corner or I just need to run to this place and then and then everything will be fine. And and did things get better or did things no, get worse? No. Yeah. No, it it uh it got it got worse and worse. Uh I mean the situation really was that like I said before everything was really burning. Mm-hmm. Uh it was it was very difficult to see because of the smoke. Uh you know, visibility was, you know, 10 feet, 15 feet. Oh goodness. Uh yeah. the sound like I said was was devastating and it was and it was difficult to navigate. It was difficult to kind of figure out uh, where the road is and and really where to go. Um and and uh, and I remember being I remember being confused about uh, uh, you know what to do or but 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 I kept but I kept running. You kept mate, yeah. You, yeah. you kept you you never became passive. You be, right. you were constantly right. active, even if you weren't clear yes. on that. Yeah. And um, when, when did you? Was there a time? I guess there's there's two questions. Was when did you first start to? to realize if you did at all that you were getting injured that, that there were actually yeah. injuries there and then, then secondly was there a stage 
in this process that you, that you really thought, hang on, there is going to be no way out. I, yes, I think yeah. I am going to die yeah. here. Did that happen at all? Yeah, I um, I after after probably after probably running for three or four minutes, I turned around and because I wanted to make sure that my wife was still right behind me, and and I couldn't see her anymore. Uh, and again, without really thinking about it, I turned around and I started running, uh, running back towards the house yeah. to try to look for her or to try to find her. And uh, and I and I ran back and suddenly I realized that I really wasn't, I really didn't know where I was. I got really confused about, uh, you know, I thought I thought I ran straight back to, the, uh, you know, towards the house. But I suddenly realized that I was running downhill again, which which I knew was wrong. So there was something in my brain that you know that kind of said, you know, wait a minute, there's something there's something wrong here, and and I hadn't seen her, uh, so I stopped at that point really, and I was trying to I was I was really trying to get my mind going mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where am I and 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 how do I get back to the house or how do I try to find her. And I'm carrying, you know, our little puppy, and and I stopped uh, because I was confused, and I noticed suddenly that my pajamas bottoms were, were were burning. I suddenly had a sharp pain on my left thigh, and I and I literally thought about you know just putting the dog down, yeah, and then getting my getting my pajamas bottoms off. But I but I couldn't get myself to put the dog down. Because I knew that he wouldn't that he wouldn't he survive. Wouldn't make it, yeah. So I managed with one hand to get my to get my pajamas bottoms off. And as I was standing there, I noticed that I wasn't wearing any shoes. It was it was really the first time that I realized that I was running barefoot and I yeah. was running on these uh, you know embers that were that were blowing everywhere. And that was that was really the first pain that I felt. And with that pain really came that first instance where 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 I honestly thought to myself that I'm not going to make it out of this I'm I'm maybe I should just sit down and and just give up yeah um, and then and then as soon as I had that thought then I then I also snapped out of it and I you know I thought about my daughter I thought about my wife thought about my friends and then then I turned around and it really became kind of a transition from trying to find my wife, and honestly, it became a matter of I need to try to get out of here. Yeah. So I turned around because I was pretty sure that the, that the direction that I that I had been running in before was was right. So that's that's all I really thought of was to turn around and then try to kind of try to continue running in that direction. And that. You refound your wife, so uh, no, no, n- you never refound your no, wife. No, no, we actually. We I, I want to pause so that <laughs> your wife survived. <laughs> just yes, yeah, 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 but, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so you did. You gent- You got separated in. The, yes. Goodness me. Yeah. Okay, I, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, we we. Um, so what ended up what ended up happening was that uh, we both then independently ran down the hill ended up having to run about three quarters of a mile to get to the nearest uh, get to the nearest street and um, and there would be there would be times when I was running where I would look up ahead 
and I would just see across the road there would just be a blanket of fire because if there was a tree or a bush and and the wind would basically just cover the and the entire road and then I would look up two seconds later and it would and it would only be smoke and I started realizing really that this is this is this is not in my control yeah. whether I survive this or not or whether I get you know severely injured or not but yeah we got separated and my wife ended up getting picked up uh, right before I did so in my search for her I must have either missed her uh, running right by me or maybe I was not exactly where I thought I was she got picked up by uh, by a fire truck and I flagged down a private passenger car and we then got taken to the same ER so we arrived at the local ER you know three or four minutes uh, apart from each other uh, apart and that, yeah. that, so there's that window there where you you are literally like hang on I'm I am quote safe albeit injured yeah. but I have no idea where yes. my partner in life yes. is yes. and uh that must have been uh, emotional yeah. to see each other. Yeah. And, uh, so so let, let's fast forward. You, you you get out. You have you have lost, and quite literally here, you have lost everything. Yes. And uh, th- there is nothing and nothing left. Uh, no belongings. Uh, what what were the extent of both your injuries and, and your wife's injuries, and in, in sort of a one minute thing? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we both suffered uh, second and third degree burns. Uh, um, I was, I was, I guess you could say, I was uh, luckier than my wife. My wife suffered some, some uh, pretty severe burns on both her legs. Um, I got, I got badly burned under my feet and on my feet. Uh, I got burned on my left knee. Uh, my hands were a little bit burned. I had a little bit on my on my left shoulder, um, and. Uh, yeah, we woke up. We woke up the next day in the hospital, like you said. With uh, you know, our possessions in life were you know a cell phone and a pair of glasses. So, so let's frame this because that that's obviously a, a very emotional piece of this conversation, and uh, and it's important because it, it grounds what we're going to talk to mm-hmm. today. And um, I mean, obviously, none of us can can imagine, or most of us cannot imagine how we would react the emotions that you went through etc but the reason i wanted to talk to you was uh was your reactions following mm-hmm. and um and your lens as as it relates to this as it's come out of this as you have emerged so i guess that the first thing we have to do and you're in hospital at this stage but what were the Im- initial reactions and thoughts the in- the initial period, I would say the first week or, or, or so right after the fire, the initial reaction was honestly a bit of a mess uh, in the sense that uh, there, were, there were so many thoughts that, that went through my head. Um, and it was really a mess of a lot of, a lot of negative thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, but, also, but, also some, but also some positive. I spent a lot of time in the beginning wondering... Um, what I, you know, wondering what had happened if I had done this or if I had done that, right? And trying to trying to think back to say, what if I had tried to get a car out of the garage, right? Okay, so the garage was burning. Maybe it was just on the outside. Maybe I could have gotten a car out. Maybe, maybe I could have driven out. Maybe I could have done something different, you know, running down the hill. Uh, should I have, you know, should I have run behind my wife? Uh, yeah. You know, etc. So, I really spent a lot of time thinking about all these different scenarios, and 
And then I and then I also spent a lot of time thinking about you know asking myself questions that really all were centered around will I be able to and then insert almost everything yeah. yeah yeah will I be able to run again will I be able to go back to work will I be able to to walk it was a little bit unclear to me um the extent of my injuries in the sense that you know obviously I could see that especially my left foot was really really badly burned and my toes were all you know black but but I wasn't sure whether whether they would have to amputate any toes whether whether I'd be able to keep my foot even yeah um so that was kind of the other theme was to kind of replay all these will I be able to do x y or z again and, and then there was a there was a shift yeah yes. relatively yeah. quickly yeah. and uh um you know I remember you telling me on the phone you can't influence what happens to us but you can influence how you how yes. you react to it yeah. uh what 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 was that that decision or shift or yeah. or transition yeah i thought a lot about you know i thought a lot about trying to separate uh uh the things that i can influence or or or, or could influence from the things that i couldn't and uh i and i really tried to approach this with a very positive mindset and very quickly made a decision to not to not be a victim and what i mean by that is really to try to do everything i can and 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 put in some hard work to make sure that i really that i do not attach to a story that is about you know being upset or being angry or uh, you know dwelling in the things that i lost or the injury so i i really very quickly try to focus on something that something that i think i picked out you know a little bit from my triathlon training also you know just dabbling a little bit with meditation even mm-hmm. though i've never been able to get into a consistent meditation <laughs> practice sure, sure. but but i still but i still try to uh when i was lying in the hospital bed and i had so much time to think i was really trying to observe the feelings that i had and then trying to not react to them immediately kind of as a gut reaction i was really trying to to you know observe why i was feeling sad or why i was feeling upset before i reacted to it so and really and really try to separate my reaction to that emotion or to that thought from the actual feeling or the actual emotion yeah not try and run away from the feeling but but right. postpone the reaction yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah engage with it postpone the reaction and then i slowly started trying to see if i could filter out and and process the negative thoughts and then really really you know engage with the positive thoughts that also started emerging and, and the positive yeah because I, i was my next question was was there a lot of anger uh but but i think you no. mentioned before no, no there was gratitude yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah very very quickly and surprisingly quickly uh, the the natural and overwhelming feeling was gratitude uh, and that happened i mean that happened within the first couple of days gratitude for our neighbor calling us gratitude for making it out of the fire uh, alive the gratitude for my wife making it out gratitude that my daughter was not at home that she had gone to college 8 weeks uh, prior to this um and and the flip side of the gratitude was also that 
there were so many things that that could have gotten that could have gone much worse uh, right and especially what i described before that feeling of yeah that feeling of uh, you know being very sure that i'm not going to survive this and then suddenly two days later finding myself in a hospital bed uh, being being at least relatively safe that kind of also instilled that feeling of there's so much to be happy about and to be and to be grateful for it's um I, I, i'm not going to belittle this down to to uh, silly humor it, it's the ultimate detox in a way it's yes. like very strange yes. yeah. yeah it's uh yeah. it's a, a forced complete redrawing of of probably your, your entire life, yes. your perspective on life and yes. everything. It, yes. Despite you obviously being a successful executive, you're, you're living in California as a European, it's the Californian dream, and yes. suddenly you are a proverbial ground zero, yeah? Yes. And um, so, so I want to look forward then yeah. and, and think about some of the, the the lessons, and I guess that's the question. What were the, the key lessons that you drew from this? I think... I think some of the key lessons were that, uh, again, like I said before, since I cannot influence what happened, and I really couldn't influence kind of that kind of that reset point, right, where you, or where I, you know, woke up in the hospital, all my things are gone. I'm not sure what my life going forward is going to look like. I'm not. I'm not sure if I'll be able to walk in and run again. And I then. I then started looking at it as an opportunity to grow and develop also. Uh, and I thought a little bit about what I had learned from athletics as well, where it is, I really, I really truly believe that it is when we struggle that there's an opportunity to find clarity or to uh, find solutions. And I mean that both from an athletic standpoint, right? The workouts where I've really learned something about myself have not been the workouts where I've just, you know, yeah, right. exactly. I just go out and I run 10 miles and I do it exactly as the coach prescribed, right? Uh, the sessions or the races where I struggled were the, were the sessions or the races where I really learned something. Mm-hmm. And I really tried to, to, uh, to use that in this experience too and say there is an opportunity here to grow and develop um i think another really important lesson is is that i should not take life for granted i got so close to to not surviving this thing that it was very very obvious to me how fragile uh, life is and it's and I think it's something that we all intellectually know, but we forget it from time to time, and uh, and I think this part of you know this part of the experience and having gone through it with my wife, she, my wife is really the only one that I can that I can talk to who can one hundred percent relate to what I went through. So the bond that that had create that that has created between my wife and my daughter and I. Uh, is unbreakable is, is absolutely yeah absolutely and it, you talked to me uh, before the conversation about uh, uh, and this this is after the incident but but talking about uh, Brad and Steve's book Brad, Steve Magnus and, yes. and Brad Stolberg who I've had on the podcast yes. and, and their book uh, Peak Performance and particularly relating to elements of stress and, and yeah. things like that yeah. uh, coming out talk to that about sort of reading yeah. that and uh, 
how that sparked things specifically related to your experience yeah 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 um when i read the book a lot of the messages in that book resonated with me on two different levels a lot of it resonated uh from kind of the athletic standpoint around uh you know when we struggle when we are in discomfort um and you know stress can be a uh, you know can be a catalyst for growth and for adaptation and of course i could relate to that just from a purely physical athletic course, standpoint yeah. right and you know stressing my body recovering adapting but i also had a level of appreciation for a lot of that thinking about the experience that i went through and like i was describing before i my mindset slowly got to a point where i was able to to look at to look at it almost as something valuable where there was stress applied in this case from the outside and not something that that i that i triggered but that level of stress both mentally and physically also served as a catalyst for human growth or for development and and also adapting to this new situation that i suddenly found myself in well um it resonates understandably and and obviously i mean the the book peak performance uh, i think most of the listeners will be aware of it because of uh, having Brad and Steve on but it but it absolutely resonates let's move to triathlon because mm-hmm. now i mean you you have done some triathlons you've you've done an ironman it's uh, it's no great shakes but now triathlon is is going to be back in your life i think it's yes. i think it's fair to say it is a part of your resetting and rebuilding in many ways um so so let's talk about resetting mm-hmm. uh globally and resetting your life sort of thing Let, yeah. let's talk about the things and the the changes that that the think have occurred in a very practical level yeah 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 i i um i have thought a lot about uh, the fact that like i said in, in the intro i am 50 years old and i'm finding myself in a situation where 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 i truly am resetting uh, my life and I'm doing it in almost every aspect of my life. So the so the process that I am in the middle of is really trying to redefine um what it is that I do, uh what it is that I'm truly passionate about, uh who do I want to do it with, who are the people that really truly inspire me. But there's also a very practical element of it. If you wake up one day and all you own is a cell phone and a pair of glasses, there are also some very practical things and questions that you need to start asking yourselves. Especially, you know, especially around. We went through the insurance process relatively quickly. It was a, it was almost a brand new house, so our insurance was, you know, luckily uh, good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. So very, very practically, you're suddenly left with decisions around uh, all the things we had before and that whole inventory that the insurance company forces you to put together. Um, and then I started looking at that and I started asking myself questions around what are the things that are really important to me? And I think one of the key lessons coming out of that, again, is that my wife and I are really trying to simplify our lives right now not in the sense that we're going to live in a yurt but in the sense that that we are we are we are we are being very intentional mm. about the decisions that we make and we look at that part of it really and I look at it really as 
an opportunity, really as a gift to say, I now have the opportunity to rebuild my life, both in the things that I have, but also in the other aspects. What do I do? Who do I do it with? And that's an interesting experience and actually and actually a liberating experience. I, I, you know, I very often now wake up in the morning feeling liberated, feeling feeling like there's a burden that has been lifted. Um, and and I'm pretty sure that a lot of that has to do with the things that I, you know, I was forced to declutter my life. It, yeah, it, it's a, the, the detox was not a bad analogy, yeah, yeah, was it? Yeah, exactly. And it's not without irony, by the way, you know, 50 is the new 40. Yeah, Many yeah. people go through a midlife crisis. <laughs> yes. You went through this yeah. forced external stimulus. Yes. And many of us never get to that realization. You know, yeah. we... I think as human beings we we suffer and uh like quite often we we suffer and 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 this is this is spoken from a a place of relative privilege so uh, uh where we sort of get on the treadmill of life and yes. no one ever stops and pauses to actually do this grounding and and sort of refounding moment yeah. in many ways uh, yeah. which is which is unbelievable. I, I know that there are people listening that are dying to wonder about your great new wardrobe that you uh, you purchased, but that yeah. wasn't the case either, was it? No, no, no. That that is one of those examples that uh, that you know, being a being an executive and and uh, uh, you know having having lived that life for uh, you know many many years as part of my career, right? I had a. I had a huge wardrobe with, you know, business suits or shoes or ties or shirts and and of course most of the things, you know, I never I never really wore them. I also sure. I was also a watch collector, uh, something that I had gotten into uh, in my early 30s, I think. Um and and as I as I went through this experience and I started I started examining uh, things like that. It suddenly, I mean, it suddenly literally felt like a different human being making those decisions from, from the person that I am today. Um, so I went out and I bought one watch because I can only wear one watch at a time. Um, I went out and I bought three pairs of jeans and five t-shirts. And again, it's a little bit of that liberating feeling that, yeah, I was so happy because that's really all I needed. And at that time, I was still I was still on leave from work. So when I then started working, I went out and I bought a couple of suits, and I bought sure. one pair of, of brown shoes and one pair of black shoes, and 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 really found out that again, that's really all I need. Right? You covered your bases. Yeah, and I bought one pair of running shoes instead of the ten that I had before. You used to have that. Well, yeah. well, talking of running shoes, let's. Let's talk about how triathlon fits into this. Yes, because you're on the quest. So we we sort of reset your life uh, a little bit. And um, what do you want to get out of this journey now that you're redoing triathlon? I really, I really want to focus on continuing to learn and improve and grow. Um, maybe a segue back to when I talked about my youth. I never identified as a super athlete. And that's not how I grew up. I still do not identify as a super athlete. Uh, the Ironman that I did in 2014, I completed the Ironman, but sure. but uh, but my ambition was not to go to Kona. My of course, yeah. my ambition was not to be you know top of my age group. My ambition was to finish it. So I 
I would really like to continue a journey and to put myself in, in, in challenging positions where I, can, where I can force myself, where I can stimulate that growth. And ultimately, all of that, I think, is centered around a desire to try to be the best version of me that I can be, both athletically, but also in life. Well, ultimately, those two are unbreakable. Yes. Because if uh, yes. because whatever you are outside of life, you will bring it into the rest of your life, Correct. you know. So uh, or outside of the workplace, you yeah. bring it. So they're yeah. unbreakable. So it may, and I mean, we talked about. In fact, a, a, a tangent when we when we talk about uh, talent. Sometimes mm-hmm. I was having a discussion the other day talking about talent and talent and identification, and uh, talent doesn't always smell or look the same Mm -hmm. and uh someone an executive was asking me about talent identification amongst our pro athletes and the physical side of things like are you talented in the classic sense that way that things that that's just the invitation to get into the ballroom it doesn't mean you're going to win the dance at the same time toughness is not a differentiator it's a prerequisite you know you you have to be tough if you're going to be an elite athlete. But the characteristics that we look for, at least I look for as a coach, there are, there are many, but it is things like having a growth mindset, mm-hmm. having an internal desire to improve, having a passion for the, the journey. So it's a very personal journey. And there are more, um, you know, the ability to be coached and coachable, uh, realize that it takes a team support. Is, and there are many, but, but that sort of growth mindset and, um, and lens, those are the characteristics that actually enable the connection between potential and performance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and potential is just that, that's just the, the ballroom entrance, as mm-hmm. I call mm-hmm. it, to maximize. And it seems like that really resonates with, with you. And, and in fact, if we can, if we are going through a really strict performance lens, I mean, you're getting to the secret of where I think if we just think athletically, no matter whether you're trying to win a world championship, no matter whether you're just trying to um, maximize your, your physical potential, that is the route to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as someone is only driven by external and uh, I want to win, I want to qualify, I want to, if that is the driver, success seldom comes at least as well as it can if it's more the embracing of the journey and self improvement that's why we never talk about results with our pros we talk about what do you need to do to get better and then the results flow from that yes so um so it resonates so yeah i see what you're 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 trying to see you know what what about competition then you know because you ultimately i mean it's a personal journey but you still in some ways are competing yes yeah 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 yeah. um I think it I think it has to do or for me for me it has to do with that discussion around motivation whether whether I am internally driven or whether I'm externally driven and I think I think early on in my life I was much more externally driven and uh, over the last couple of years and now especially coming out of this experience I am realizing that I am I am I'm becoming much much more and almost exclusively internally driven. So when I think about competition, I really think about competition as a vehicle to to put myself in a in a in a competitive situation that allows me an opportunity to go beyond where I think I could go. Um 
and use that as a vehicle rather than, you know, competition to me is not about, you know, trying to make a certain time or trying to make a cutoff or trying to be, be a specific percentile. It is really trying to make sure that I use the competition to look, to put myself in a position where there will be others that will allow me to go beyond. If I just went out and just did a did an Ironman on my own and I just executed the my own pace, then I then I can predict how I would do. And the breakthrough, you know, opportunities in life are like we talked about earlier are are the are the opportunities where things do not go as planned. It is well, it, it is. Beyond ironic, but last weekend we chatted about it before the conversation and it was Ironman Santa Rosa. Yes. You were on the Ironman Santa Rosa course and two of our athletes, uh, t two actual busy executives, were first and second in the race. And if we asked those two, Sami Inkinen and Dirk de Korver, a Dutch and a Finn, uh, what motivated them, the, the two fastest athletes in the race, it would be exactly the same. Yeah. So it wasn't about winning even though of course that's cherished and enjoyable and you yes. can celebrate it but it's a, a very personal improvement for those guys i coach both of them and um and uh i mean i think this is really really critical piece that's mm -hmm. why i'm honing onto it so, so i want to ask two more questions uh and one around recovery and the second i would just want to come back through my own interest around relationships so With the recovery process, you spent some time in some in hospital. In fact, your wife has only just been released from hospital, yes. so more than six months yeah. in uh, in hospital herself. Uh, when you think about your recovery, where do you think? How do you think the role of your fitness and health physically helped, but also cognitively yeah. in your processing and your decision making? Yeah. I think it was. I think it was extremely helpful, um, and I think probably the most obvious way was dealing just with the physical discomfort, right? With the physical pain or recovering from surgery or uh, engaging in a dialogue around physical therapy. And through, through my athletics, I, I felt like I had a good understanding of, you know, why it was important to rest when I needed to rest, why it was important that I engaged in physical therapy, I knew that physical therapy was going to be uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable, you know, beginning to walk again. And there was pain associated with that. And I think my, my athletics helped a lot with that. And to, and I think it helped in the way that it, that it, that, that I was prepared for what I was going to go through. And uh, there was also a nutritional side of it that I felt like I clearly understood that it was very important that I ate uh you know a clean diet and that 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 i tried as much as you can in a hospital at least yeah of course but that i kind of tried to uh, you know eat in a way that was consistent with what i thought was healthy mm -hmm. and then there was the other and maybe not so obvious part of recovery which was the mental part of it and i think and i think the overarching lesson that i've learned from athletics and especially from some of the longer sessions or longer races is I think I've developed an ability to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is when I'm out on a long run or I do a long bike session, discomfort does not, does not throw me off uh, anymore. And that is something that I've learned through athletics, that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. 
And 30 minutes later, I might feel completely different about it. And I focus on what it is that I'm doing. And I really tried to apply that mindset to the recovery part of this too. And it wasn't easy, but it gave me some tools at least when I'm lying in a hospital bed and I have, I have nothing other to do than, you know, than thinking and my mind is racing. At least I can, at least I can embrace that, that level of, of discomfort. And I was able to be, you know, to a certain level, okay with it and, and process it and trust that it's going to, you know, it's going to go away. I'm going to feel better in 30 minutes. Steve Magnus would always talk about a calm conversation with yourself and yes. related to pain. Yes. And, um, you know, we always talk about developing tools. So uh, yes. th this is the Dixon Magnus uh, school of performance that you're taking us through here. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. And, and last question, I just want to come back to relationships because... There must have been, I mean, you mentioned relationships early and, and mm -hmm. you just in passing talked about surrounding yourself with the people that are important to you. Yeah. How did this experience evolve your lens on relationships globally? It, uh, I, think, I think it crystallized uh, a couple of things for me. So it, first of all, it became very clear to me that, that uh, it's about meaningful relationships. Um, a couple of years ago, I really, I really stopped uh, any type of social media because because I started getting to the to the conclusion that those relationships were really not meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And now, after this experience, I think I've taken that to to another level, where I'm trying to be very deliberate about the people that I surround myself with, and I try to focus on spending time with people that that uh, you know bring something to my life that 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 inflate my life rather than deflating my life mm -hmm. um and that sometimes means spending you know spending time with people that i didn't spend as much time with before there are there are friends that have emerged out of this experience that have been you know positive surprises in the way that they might not have been people that i knew really well but they've been there every day for both my wife and i um, and then I also think there's another part of relationships where I look at I look at myself now, and I've started asking questions like, how can I how can I inspire others? How can I be of service? Um, how can I how can I make people happy? How can I motivate somebody? And sometimes it's just very small things. Um, I'm suddenly I'm suddenly finding myself when I see a homeless person in 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 Santa Rosa. I'm suddenly engaging in a short conversation with them. I'm handing them a little bit of cash. Uh, you mentioned uh, Santa Rosa, uh, the, the Ironman in Santa Rosa. I have, I have never volunteered for a race before. And this Saturday was one of my, one of my most rewarding uh, experiences. Just, just being at a run aid station and being able to, to hand out water to people and and you know, answering a couple, couple of quick questions about you know GI issues and what should I do and you know things like that, that suddenly is very, very rewarding to me. Well, I can tell you that um, I think today, if you if you have not inspired, if you uh, if people are, are not motivated, and then uh, then they need to uh, throw their clothes around and buy three pairs of, <laughs> of jeans and two t-shirts because. Uh, <laughs> I think mission accomplished. It's a it, it, well, it's it, it's an amazing story. It's not a wonderful story. It's an amazing story. But most importantly, the lessons that come out of it are um, are inspirational. And um, 
and food for thought, I think, for everyone. And, and you have one more thing to do. I'm not sure if you, if you know that you have to do this thing, but we always have quick-fire questions at the end. Okay. Now, you are a man of few words. <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. No. Not exactly. Well, in this last piece, you have to be a few okay. words. So here are the rules. We have the quick-fire questions to finish. These have to be from your gut. These have to be instinctual, and you're only allowed to answer these with one word to one sentence. So okay. it, it has to be... Don't overthink this. It's, uh, it's visual. There's, uh, there's just a few questions. I'm going to read them off, and you're going to tell me what you think. Yeah. All right, here we go. Number one. What's the biggest challenge time-starved high performers faced? Uh, finding balance. Number two. Once you, what's your number one performance habit to help daily energy? Uh, eat a really good and healthy diet. Good. Number three, training, when you're training. Yeah, yeah. Listen to music, focus on the task, or troubleshoot work problems. Focus on the task. I thought you might say that. I didn't think you were going to be wondering about work at that no, point. No, Here's a great one for you. What do you wish you had more of? Um, athletic talent. Athletic talent. Yeah. That's good. Training, do you like to fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? I love a crowd, but because of logistics, I always train solo. Name one to two characteristics of an elite performer. I just told you. Commitment and consistency. Commitment and consistency. Great. Two more. Who's been your biggest mentor? Rich Roll. Rich Roll. Interesting. Yeah. And finally, what's your number one tip for travel? Number one tip for travel? Um, adjust to the time zone as quickly as you can. There you go. That's a great one. So last, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you. And, and equally to that, good luck. It's, uh, it's going to be a, a great journey. We're, we're proud to be a part of your performance journey now. And um, you're joining the Purple Patch team. Yes. We're, we're going to go on a, a journey to maximize your athletic potential through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I do warn you that I, I have a habit of not making life any easier for special athletes and uh, with special circumstances. So I can promise <laughs> the same lens on you. But, um, but it's been great. It's been inspirational, motivational, and, uh, and I'm excited for our journey ahead. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. So am I. So am I. Thank you, Matt. Thanks so much. Cheers. Yeah, thanks. Well, guys, we've had world-class athletes on. We've had business leaders on. We've had people talking about achieving great success at the world-class level. But that was pretty stunning. I hope you enjoyed. I hope that you're motivated. I hope that you're inspired. Because when everything is stripped away from us, it comes down to some very, very basic principles. And I don't think that you need to have everything stripped away from you to take a step back Look at the big picture, understand that what's really important, and start your own journey to performance. I want to say a personal thank you to Lars. I think it's very challenging to step up and make such an honest, objective, and emotional story come to life for us. It's great. I'm excited to go on the journey with him. And as we go on from here, I think it's going to be hard to match that. Take care.